John 12, 26 says this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I know you're not hard of hearing, but for emphasis, I'm going to read it again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. First two weeks of our series on serving, we have dealt with issues related to our heart and our motivation. You know, it's easy to sit here and berate. I try not to do that. Keep repeating, hoping that you'll oblige. But there are heart issues related to this idea of serving that I think get to more of the core of the matter. We address the issue of being broken before the Lord. And unless we have experienced a breaking whereby we voluntarily surrender our will to the Father, there's always going to be this disinclination to serving. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. My experience is much of this brokenness takes place when we've gone through particularly difficult circumstances. Loss of a job, a breakup, business deal gone bad. God brings us to our knees. We eschew this independence and run to him. Last week we dove into realizing that our contentment is the context of enduring fruitful service. Without that contentment, it's very short-lived. And then daily worship of Christ and identity in Christ lead to contentment. So worship and serving are to go hand in hand. I like what Gary said about we're going to serve the Lord on the 18th with our hands and feet, and we worship him in that. Our lives... Romans 12 says, are on an altar to worship him. It's not just singing songs. It's the giving of our life is is an act of worship toward him. So worship helps us to fill our hearts. Just like Mary was at the feet of Jesus, filling her heart. We fill our hearts with the finished work of Christ, with our station as being beloved by Christ and identified with Christ, protected by Christ. And these are kind of foundational matters that well up inside of us and give us a motivation. They directly impact how we relate to God, how well we serve others. And I would add, I think it fortifies us in the midst of disappointments. And any of us who think we don't have Disappointments when we walk with God is walk with God about 30 seconds. Because that's what life on this earth, much of it is about. 
I mentioned Mary, and you might remember the biblical story of Martha and Mary. They were sisters. They invited Jesus into their house. And uh, Martha is scurrying about, doing housework. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, enjoying, resting. Martha's doing the dishes, you know, cleaning the silverware, doing all that. And she's getting upset because Mary wasn't helping her. So she scolds Mary, and then at the height of a controlling attitude, she scolds Jesus. <laughs> that, that takes some gumption, all right? <laughs> By the way, the Son of God, you've got this wrong. I need you to scold my sister. And Jesus says that Mary, the one sitting at her feet, had the good portion. Mary was not manipulated by her sister. How many of you got a manipulating? No, don't say it in your family. But you know, every family system has got something like that, right? To one degree or another. But Mary was content. Martha was not. Disappointed, busy, Controlling. Now, those don't all go together, but here it did. I want to deposit to you that when we are content in Jesus, we are more secure, less angry, less complaining, and maybe even less busy. But we accomplish more. Serving is a lot about our relationship with Christ. And as a result, we, we learn this mission or purpose that we have in life. Now, what I'd like to do is just kind of compare for a second, serving and volunteering. Now, I use serving because it's used over a thousand times in the Bible. And volunteer is used once. So I'm going to say the weight of the evidence says the Bible wants us to serve and less so about just volunteering, all right? Volunteering is about our willingness to do something that fits my preference. Nothing wrong with it, it's just not the same as serving your king. When we serve, we embrace our calling and the incomparable value of serving in the kingdom at the behest of the king. When I volunteer, I'm the one calling the shots. And a volunteer is strained to sacrifice unless it leads to a greater satisfaction. If you know anything about ethical systems, this is called ethical egoism. I'm doing something that fits my passions, my wants, and if it doesn't, sorry, I tap out. But that's what a volunteer does. A servant of the king is concerned about kingdom goals that transcend comfort. I think it's why volunteers quit much more easily. Because once I'm tired of it, I'm out. Volunteers don't see relational conflicts as being a part of the deal because it's just too big of a hassle. You know, 
I just don't want to deal with you. Got some relationships like that? Just don't want to deal with you. Servants of the king realize greater fruit comes from endurance. And resolving relational conflicts is a people issue. And in the kingdom, love is the ruling principle. So if you have some relationships with people where you say, you know what? This can't have anything to do with you. It's just too much price to pay. You're volunteering yourself. But if you say, I'm going to do what it takes to love well, that's a servant. There's this motif that a lot of people jump off of, of Pharaoh and Egypt. You might remember the story of God's people being in bondage in Egypt. And then God sent plagues to Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And this motif has been used as a model of bondage to things like self or pleasure, possession, and and other idols. Christian counselors often use it to describe our attitudes and behaviors that keep us in bondage, uh, such as escalation, withdrawal, belittling, negative beliefs. Those are bondage types of behaviors. And then a counselor might describe what it's like to be in the promised land of relationships where I have intimacy and safety. And some in a marriage or significant relationship never really get there. Now, they might have a glimpse of it every once in a while, but certainly not sustained. And then they talk about how you can get there. So that motif is used a lot by particularly Christian counselors. So we rightly pray for freedom. God, I need you to work in this situation and and give me freedom, not bondage anymore. But let me throw something out to you. Freedom is not the end goal. Freedom is not the end goal. It's okay to pray for that, but God is not calling us out of freedom or out of bondage to Egypt in order then to be in bondage to self, (laughs) to just serve ourselves. That is not true freedom. That is moving from one form of oppression to the other. And we read of God saying to Pharaoh in Exodus 5 through 10, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. Multiple times. But that is not the complete statement. Six times during the plagues, God says, let my people go that they may serve me. In other words, I am working to free you so that you can do things and express and embrace your freedom. Serve me as your king. Not Pharaoh, me. God, Christ. Not me, but the king. <laughs> All right, if, I, if I look at my life and you know, I am adding up the hours and every dollar and every relationship, Could it be said, in evaluating those things, 
that I am a servant of the king or do I serve self? You ever ask yourself that? And I think we all do this. We make sure we prioritize the events of our kids. Go to all of them. Take great vacations. We manage our investments well. Make sure that my relationships lead to greater business connections. All that's fine. But what is truly in my heart during those things? Did I inquire of the Lord? You see this constantly throughout the Old Testament, that when Israel walked away from God, God said, they did not inquire of me. They did not include me in daily life. Did I just go through such things to build my own self-esteem, make sure that my friends knew I was in their group, nary a thought about how I fit within the kingdom of God. I mean, I've made sure that my kids know to be committed to their athletic endeavors, to their academic pursuits. But am I making a faithful disciple of Christ? Who are you serving? Obviously, all these activities are not wrong in and of themselves. They're fine to do. But are they properly directed, motivated? I guess maybe just because I call myself a Christian. You know, I can do all the things I want to do. I can go to church. And, you know, all of my activities are then kind of baptized somehow magically and made Christian. And I think that's how a lot of people think. But how can I serve God in my job? Ever thought about that? How can I serve God in my marriage? How can I serve God with my neighbors at school? Am I just punching in a clock, getting a grade sheet, You are not called to freedom, to do whatever you want, to pursue whatever you want. In the family of God, you are called to freedom to serve God. Serving God in my marriage, serving God with my job, serving God with it all. Do the motivations and the activities say from the heart that I'm serving God. There's a simple statement in Acts 13.36 that speaks about the life of David, and it says this. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Now, you look at the life of David, and here was a guy who was not perfect. I mean, this guy had a lot of potholes in his life that he stepped in, Okay. But somehow, someway, you could look at his life and you could say, he served the purpose of God. Wow. I sure hope that that can be said of me.
He served the purpose of God. Well, he acquired many things. He built multiple businesses. His kids were Rhodes Scholars. Good thing. He once bench pressed 300 pounds. Awesome. But somehow he couldn't find the time to lift a Bible with his family to show them how to deal with a particular situation. This is not about a false dichotomy between, you know, reading the Bible and doing other businesses. It's about how Christ enters into all activities of our life, that I submit to his will, I find my identity in him. I have a clear understanding of my purpose. I have a clear understanding of what God wants me to do with my children, with my money, with my job. God is not asking us to be a monk eating honey and locusts in a desert. He wants us to redeem all of these aspects of our life to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. My life is his. My life is not my own. If you're a child of God. You want to be a spiritual leader in your family? Wake up in the morning, tell your family, our money, life, family, relationships, and even our schedule is not our own. We're going to inquire of God how he wants us to operate. They are his. Now, let me ask you. How would that change the way you do business in your daily life? I serve him. I serve his purpose for me. You know, we look at all the political and cultural alliances and what group we wish to be a part of, like some manufactured identity. And we're essentially the way I see it, in this world system, we're being asked to worship at multiple idols. Or you're going to be canceled out. That's the world system. And I think at some point we have to stand up like Daniel did and say this, be it known to you, O king. And sometimes you even need to say that to your family. Be it known to you, O family, that we will not serve your God's or worship the golden image that has been set up. Think about it. Some of us are more loyal to keep the favor of our parents or other people in our family than we are serving God and loving well. We have a world system that offers up schedules that we have to keep at a record speed. To gain the approval of children we worship. To live in houses we can barely afford. To prop up an image to manage with social media posts. And then we go to church and put a little 
nice little cherry on top. And all the while, we have served self. How can we break this cycle? What is his purpose for me? And how can I serve? Let me throw something out. Serving the king is the anecdote to a self-driven life. Teaching our children, let me throw this out to you. Teaching our children is more important Teaching them about Christ, teaching them to serve, to be a disciple, is more important than an athletic skill. It's more important than academic achievement. Now, we'll all shake our head. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah, I believe that. (laughs) But what do we get excited about? What takes up our time? You know what? It's not don't do athletics and serve God. It's how can I serve God in the athletics? It's not about, you know, don't do academics and serve God. It's about how can I serve God with the academics? Show them. Teach them. Where it fits within the kingdom of God. And if it doesn't, then maybe you need to change an activity. But it is serving God in his kingdom. That is the driving force. And I think it's one of the reasons that we take a Sabbath. That weekly, I can get away from the system and remind myself that I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm to accomplish God's purposes. And that's why he has me here on this earth. And I got to tell you, I need constant reminding of that. Because the system, it's like a giant sucking sound. Sucking you in. Al Pacino and Godfather 3. They draw you in. (laughs) Listen, our service to God bleeds through our value statements that we have here as a church. And this is pretty cool. These are the things that we want to do as a church. The things that we want to value. All right? Number one, do the hard thing. We choose biblical obedience even when it means taking the harder or longer path. One of the things I don't like about a lot of modern Christianity is this idea that when I follow God, I'm victorious, I'm always happy, things go well. I don't know what Bible they're reading. I don't know what Christian life they're living, but it's not the Bible I read or the life I've lived. Because what I have found is that serving God can be at times arduous, difficult. And sometimes there is a a soul quenching that takes place and I have to ask myself, Lord, how can I get rid of this fleshly response and live unto you? How can I live in the midst of these temptations? And it's hard. It's very difficult. But to be a disciple, I do the hard thing. I loosen loosen my grip. We live an abundant life when we open our hands, our calendars, and our budgets. We expect God to use them for his kingdom. 
I overcome distractions. We unite as a diverse community, racially, economically, politically, to overcome differences through a gospel focus and purpose. I know my neighbor. We build intentional relationships, meeting physical and spiritual needs, both next door and around the globe. And then I get out of the boat, pray often, take bold steps of faith, trusting that God will do only what he can. This is what is to drive us as a community of faith. And what I see in this is service to God. It's not about, as a church, just filling up activities for our kids to do. I don't wake up and just say, man, we gotta just create more programs. We've got to please the children. Okay? That's not the goal. It's not about, you know, how can we be the cool crowd? Let's require everybody up front to wear designer jeans so we can attract the cool people. Okay. Now, are we, as a result of coming to this church and being involved, better prepared to be a disciple for Christ? If we are, we have succeeded. If our church is consistent with this, these things, that means we're successful. If our church misses the boat with these, we could have all the activities. We could grow. We could have people saying, man, I love this place. I'm pleased. I'm entertained. And we will have failed. Is it making a difference in how I'm serving God in my marriage, in my job? As a shoe factory, we're to make good shoes. As a church, we're to make good disciples. I don't just collect as a shoe factory as many shoes as I possibly can. Look at our warehouse. We've got a lot of shoes. Isn't that wonderful? No. Are we better prepared to live the life that God has called us to? Our purpose is to serve our king daily in all the affairs. As each has received a gift, use it in serving one another. As good steward of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice you have a gift given to you by God for you to serve so that God is glorified. That means his pleasure. Okay, there are times in which I serve and it's not for my pleasure. I don't get pleasure. For, you to, for me to stand up here and say, every time you serve, man, you're gonna feel great joy. It's not always the experience. There are sometimes you do things in serving God that are really hard, okay? Let's just take one. Raising children. 
the way that God wants you to raise them. That's not always easy. That can be a thankless job. And if you do it as a single parent, man, I don't know how you do it. God bless you. But that's a very difficult job. And you don't, you know, get up in the morning and your child comes to you and says, "Mm, you're doing a great job, mom and dad. Thank you. Never mind, this is a true story. Our daughter on the opposite end, we got it. How old is um, Minna? Three or four? She's four. So she wakes up. My son is still in bed. At four years old, she cleaned the entire house. Not just shoving stuff under the couch, cleaned it. The kitchen, the living room, her bedroom. She comes to Jared's bedside. Well, he actually got up and he saw it. He goes, who did this? Minna did it. He goes, why did you do this? She goes, daddy, because I love you. Wow. Okay. Then he spanked her. And so... um, (laughs) That's unusual. That's unusual. But that's what we want. And that gets to the heart of serving the Father. It's a relational thing, not just volunteering. Today's message is offering you to think through all the activity that goes on in our lives and to leverage it for the kingdom of God. It might mean dropping some activity. It might mean changing the motivation of existing activity. But I think it grows out of sitting at his feet, listening, inquiring. Okay, Lord, I have this thing that I have to do, but how can I serve you in it? It could be that simple. And just listen. Pour over the word of God as it applies. Here's something for us. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. You know what that says? God sees your service and will reward you. He's a good father. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Pediatrician David Sequira shares a story of how a dying girl showed his church the power of serving God. He writes this. One Sunday, my wife had prepared a lesson on being useful. She taught the children that everyone can be useful, that usefulness is serving God, and that doing so is worthy of honor. The kids quietly soaked up my wife's words, and as the lesson ended, there was a short moment of silence. A little girl named Sarah spoke up. Teacher, what can I do? I don't know how to do too many useful things. Not anticipating the kind of response, my wife 
quickly looked around and spotted an empty flower vase on the windowsill. Sarah, you can bring in a flower and put it in the vase. That would be a useful thing. And Sarah frowned. But that's not important. It is, replied my wife, if you are helping someone. Sure enough, the next Sunday, Sarah brought in a dandelion and placed it in the vase. In fact, she continued to do so each week. Without reminders or help, she made sure the vase was filled with a bright yellow flower. Sunday after Sunday, when my wife told our pastor about Sarah's faithfulness, he placed the vase upstairs in the main sanctuary next to the pulpit. That Sunday, he gave a sermon on the honor of serving others using Sarah's vase as an example. And the congregation was touched by the message, and the week started on a good note. During that week, I got a call from Sarah's mother. She worried that Sarah seemed to have less energy than usual and that she didn't have an appetite. Offering her some reassurances, I made room in my schedule to see Sarah the following day. And after Sarah had a battery of tests and days of examinations, I sat numbly in my office, Sarah's paperwork on my lap. The results were tragic. She had leukemia. On the way home, I stopped to see Sarah's parents so that I could personally give them the sad news. Sarah's genetics and the leukemia that was attacking her small body were a horrible mix. Sitting at their kitchen table, I did my best to explain to Sarah's parents that nothing could be done to save her life. I don't think I've ever had a more difficult conversation than the one that night. Time pressed on. Sarah became confined to bed and to the visits that many people gave her. She lost her smile, she lost most of her weight, and then it came, another telephone call. Sarah's mother asked me to come see her. I dropped everything and ran to the house. There was a small, there she was, a small bundle that barely moved, and after a short examination, I knew that Sarah would soon be leaving this world. I urged her parents to spend as much time as possible with her. That was a Friday afternoon. On Sunday morning, church started as usual. The singing, the sermon, it all seemed meaningless when I thought of Sarah. I felt enveloped in sadness. And at the end of the sermon, the pastor suddenly stopped speaking, his eyes wide. He stared at the back of the church with utter amazement. Everyone turned to see what he was looking at, and it was Sarah. Her parents had brought her for one last visit. She was bundled in a blanket, a dandelion in one little hand. She didn't sit in the back row. Instead, she slowly walked to the front of the church where her vase still perched was on the pulpit. She put her flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it. Then she returned to her parents. Seeing little Sarah place her flower in the vase for the last time moved everyone. And at the end of the service, people gathered around Sarah and her parents trying to offer as much love and support as possible. I could barely watch. Four days later, Sarah died. I wasn't expecting it, but our pastor asked me to see, asked to see me after the funeral. We stood at the cemetery near our cars as people walked past us. In a low voice, he said, Dave, I've got something you ought to see. He pulled out of his pocket the piece of paper that Sarah had left by the vase. Holding it out to me, he said, you'd better keep this. It might help you in your line of work. I opened the folded paper to read. I opened the paper to read in pink crayon what Sarah had written. Dear God, this has been the biggest honor of my life. 
Sarah. So Sarah's note and her vase have helped me to understand. He writes, I now realize in a new way that life is an opportunity to serve God and to serve people. And as Sarah put it, that's the biggest honor of all. So what am I asking of you today? Take your flower. Take your gift, your time, your money, your labor, and serve your king. You know what you can do? You can start with the information on the screen. Sign up for the serve day, not because that encapsulates everything about serving, but because maybe you've lived a life of self, even as a Christian, and it's time you change the trajectory. How about you start here? And let this be a launching pad for you in the future, that my life, all of it, is about serving the king. There might be a price to be paid. It might be. It might be with family. You get serious about this. Remember when Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you got to leave mother and father, brother, sister. He's not saying you literally every time you become a Christian have to do that, but what he's saying is sometimes you get that controlling, manipulative thing in families and you stay in that pattern instead of loving Christ and doing what Christ is asking us to do as his disciple to serve him. Let's pray.